0: Well, good morning everyone. Welcome to H2O. If you just want to go ahead and have a seat, we'll get started. Uh, Today we're going to continue on in our Genesis series, so I think we're about five weeks in now. We've just been walking through Genesis verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Um, And if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, or you know, you just need a refresh on what we've been through. I'll just kind of give a quick update on that. I know for myself, if I, I can barely remember what I did yesterday a lot of the time, so it's just very helpful sometimes to have that refresh of what, what we've learned so far. Um, so as we saw in Genesis 1, God is the main character of the story of the Bible and the story of the universe. He created everything, um, and he created everything with specific designs and purposes, Um, And what he made was good, and there was peace and harmony in creation. And then moving on to chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that God made man in his own image, uh, that he made both male and female to represent represent God in their own special ways. And that mankind was not only made to represent God, but to also have dominion and steward the creation as well. So at the end of chapter 2, we see a a harmonious and beautiful creation that God has made. Uh, We see that the marriage of the man and woman is going well, and and they're living harmoniously together, and God is present there with them in relationship. And then we walked through chapter 3 last week. Josh uh, taught on Genesis chapter 3, and we saw that the peace and harmony in the first two chapters comes crashing down that both the man and the woman have sinned, uh, and they defied God's commands and designs for them. They they chose not to rely on God, but on themselves in their own judgments. And then there were consequences for the rest of creation when they sinned. So brokenness entered the world. But we also saw that there was a seed of hope in that brokenness, you know, as Josh shared last week, that the seed of Adam and Eve would one day crush the serpent. So sin has entered the world, and Adam and Eve have to exit the garden. They are kicked out of it. So, this is where we're going to pick up the story today in this place of sadness with the seed of hope. And today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So if you'd want to turn there in your Bibles, but it will also come up on the screen. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So Genesis 4, starting in verse 1. And it says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden." So that is our text for today. And as we're looking at, you know, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and we compare it with Genesis 3, we see a lot of similarities. We see that the fruit is central to the sin in both narratives, right? We see Cain's sin is that... One of his sins in this passage is that he does not bring a proper offering and sacrifice to God, and this is about the fruit of the ground. And we see Adam and Eve's sin in chapter 3 is about the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to eat. And just a note on this, I think we don't necessarily see this explicitly in this section, but I think it's safe to say that God gave Cain and Abel instructions on how they were to offer sacrifices and told them how to do this. I don't think they just one day decided to do it uh, like on a whim or that they, you know, necessarily felt on their own they were supposed to do it. I think it's fair to say God gave them instruction on that. You know, and the instructions could have been about what type of sacrifice it was. You know, we see Abel gives a blood sacrifice from the lamb, and we see Cain gives a offering of grain or some sort of fruit or something like that. Um, or it could just be that, that Cain did not offer his sacrifice with the proper heart, posture, and faith. Um, but, but what we do see, regardless of which one of those things it is, that the, the sins center around that fruit, right? <clears throat> the second similarity we see between the two stories is we see God's reaction to the sin, right? God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? He, he comes in with a question. And then also in this section we see God asks Cain, where is Abel? And then the third similarity we see is, is a similar response and punishment from God to the sin, you know, Adam and Eve see the, the curses that come as a result of their sin, and then they are kicked out of the garden. And then with Cain, we see that he is directly cursed and that he will no longer be able to maintain his profession of working the fields. And then he is kicked out of God's presence to the east of Eden. So we see that there's, there's quite a few similarities in these two short stories, and there's even more than that that I don't have time to get into, but we see very similar accounts. And I, I think that's very intentional to show us about what sin looks like. So Genesis 3, one way to uh, interpret it and read it is that it is the example of our sin and how we sin today even. And I think this section as well gets into how we sin and what that looks like. Um, So uh, the two questions I think we should ask about this text is, you know, what does it teach us about ourselves and our sin? And then what does it teach us about God and how He responds to our sin? So if you're, if you're taking notes and you want to kind of divide it up into two sections, I would kind of divide it into the, you know, what does it teach us about ourselves and our sin? And what does it teach us about God and how he responds to his, or to our sin? So first question, what does this teach us about ourselves and our sin? Uh, so we see, obviously, the two main uh, human characters in the story are Cain and Abel. And we see Abel is the prototype of following God, right? We see him act righteously in this scene. And this is not to say that he's perfect necessarily. I mean, he is making a sacrifice after all, but he's faithful to do what God tells him to do, right? He he offers a sacrifice of the first and the best of what he has to offer from his flock. And then we see that God respects and receives this offering. It says he, he has regard for it. And Hebrews 11 comments on this section as well. It tells us, That the one of the reasons that God accepted Abel's sacrifice was that Abel had faith, Um, and then this faith was counted as righteousness to Abel. But this is really all we see of Abel in this text. You know, he's mentioned very briefly, and, and he's mentioned. I think his name is mentioned exactly half the amount of times as Cain's name. And it goes to show the shortness of Abel's life. Abel's name literally means breath. So it, it, it indicates the shortness of his life even. Um, and so, so we see that his life is ended and it is shorter than it should be because of Cain killing him. And, and we see that Cain is the contrast to Abel, right? He is the prototype of the growth and the expansion of sin. And we see that Cain, Cain offers a sacrifice that is not acceptable. And again, this could be due to lack of faith when offering the sacrifice. It could be the type of sacrifice or, or the way he did it, not following instructions. Um, so it was not acceptable. And then what Cain does not respond correctly to his sin, right? God gives him instruction and rebuke, right? And, and then he is frustrated. It says he is very angry. And this anger is not ever seems to be pointed inward towards himself. It seems to be pointed outward. So his anger is pointed towards God and frustration with God. And, and his brother, obviously, he kills Abel, right? He is clearly frustrated and angry with him. The proper response for Cain would be to repent, to turn from his sin, and then to the correct action. And this is exactly what God says in verses 6 and 7 to him. God warns Cain that he must rule over his sin and not let it control him. But then, what does Cain do immediately in the next verse? Cain lets his desires rule over him. And something to note that's different about this story than the story in Genesis 3, I showed a few things that are similar between the two, but there are some major differences. I think we don't see the serpent uh, tempting Cain in this section, whereas we do see that in Genesis chapter 3. I believe this is because it's Cain's own broken desires from the spreading of sin that are tempting him, because sin has already entered the world. So Cain lets his anger and his jealousy rule over him. And then Cain kills Abel in cold blood. So the story has gone from bad to worse. The man who was the first man to be born is also the first murderer. So things have truly gone from bad to worse in this story, and it's truly tragic But we we kind of see from this text that in the beginning it starts out very hopeful, right? We see the birth of Cain and Abel. Uh, so it starts on kind of this this positive note, and as we talked about last week, you know, there's hope in the seed of Adam and Eve, and I think it's even possible to think that you know Adam and Eve might have thought Cain or Abel was that seed that would crush the serpent. You know, they don't have the perspective of history like we do, of thousands of years of you know the Bible and different things like that. That we know that that's not the case, but they didn't know that in their context, they did not know that. But what we see is that Adam and Eve seed Cain, rather than crushing the serpent, he crushes his brother, right? So there is very little hope now because we see one brother is killed, and then the other brother is exiled and sent away from God's presence. So there's very, very little hope here. And after Cain kills Abel, God God asks him this question, right? He asks him, where is Abel? And, he, and Cain still shows no remorse whatsoever, and he doesn't show any fear. He just killed a guy, and God is asking him about it, but he's not scared whatsoever. So Cain is talking to the creator of the universe that we saw in Genesis 1, and, and, and he is he has no fear to lie to him whatsoever. And, and Cain's answer is almost sarcastic, like a teenager responding to a parent, right? He kind of gives him some sass and some attitude back, like, you know, I'm not my brother's keeper. What are you doing? Like, if your parents ask you where you've been last night, you know, and you came in late, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I was just out with my friends and just gave him some attitude. Um, And then even in in Cain's response to his punishment, we see that Cain still is not remorseful, right? Uh, You know, he complains about God's punishment and saying that it is too harsh, when the reality is that it is quite lenient. So from Cain's example, I think we see an example of what typical human sin and brokenness looks like after Genesis 3. We see that Cain does not have faith in God. We see that he does not trust God. He doesn't rely on God clearly by his actions and his attitudes towards God. He does not have that faith. And this is our initial state, right, in our lives. We don't start off trusting God, having faith in God. We rather trust in ourselves or our values or other things. So we also see that Cain does not properly worship God. And we see another aspect of sin from that, that we didn't quite see in Genesis 3. We see that part of sin is, is false worship. So sin is not only defying God's commands and designs, but it is also a form of false worship. So we see, see sin is not only defying commands, but it is worshiping created objects, people, or ideas over God. And this is often true of us, too, and we see that we often worship false gods. And I think one thing interacting with this text that I thought about was how um, a lot of people will talk about how the church is in decline in the West, how less people are coming to church than ever and the, there's all these different ideas as to why that is, whether it's, you know, people not doing evangelism enough, whether it's, you know, just people deconverting and things like that. But I, I don't know that any of these is truly the answer to this. I think what, what is happening is we have less false worshipers in churches. I, I think that this is what we see, that, that those people who would have filled the churches are actually openly worshiping what they were worshiping all along, themselves, others, or false religions. And they're just doing that openly now. And and John MacArthur, when commenting on this section, he, he said that there are kind of three things we can do in regards to worship. First, he said we can worship the true God correctly. Second, he says we can worship the true God falsely. Or third, we can worship a false God. So he says worship the true God correctly, worship the true God falsely, or worship a false God. And what we truly see is that everyone worships. Everyone makes sacrifices to something. And it's just a question of who we worship and then the quality of that worship. And what we see in these verses is that Cain is worshiping the, the one true God falsely. And I think that second and that third one, the true God falsely and worshiping false gods, could almost even be smashed into one because when we falsely worship God, we are putting something above him even. And we see this commented on later in the Old Testament. It talks about true worship and the heart of worship. And so here are just kind of two sections that talk about false worship and what real worship should look like for us. So the first one is Psalm 51, verses 14 through 17. It'll come up on the screen here. And it says this, "'Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, "'O God of my salvation, "'and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. "'O Lord, open my lips.'" And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. And then the second one that I, that I picked out here, there's many other ones, is Jeremiah seven twenty one through 24. And it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers and command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward." So from these two sections, we see that God both cares about the external obedience and our internal obedience in our worship and our sacrifice to him. And this this is exactly what we see from Cain and Abel. Abel, like we talked about, has that faith. He sacrifices correctly, externally and internally. And then we see that Cain offers sacrifice with the wrong heart and the wrong sacrifice. This should truly cause us to reflect and ask uh, how, we, how we should worship God because, as we see, improper worship is sin. And we see that in Genesis, the, the God of the Bible, the creator of heavens and earth, is the true God to be worshipped. I don't think that's necessarily that complicated of a topic, although some people may argue otherwise. Uh, but I think often what we tend to struggle with is, is the how part and how this worship looks. And, and I think Romans 12 gives us a great insight into what real worship is in our context because there, there is a difference between us and Cain and Abel's situation here, right? We live in a post-Jesus uh, on the cross uh, context, right? We see that Jesus offered a sacrifice once and for all and we no longer have to offer sacrifices like the priest did in the Old Testament. So, so there is a little bit of a covenantal difference between us and the situation here in the Old Testament, But in Romans 12, Paul says this in the first few verses, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here that offering our bodies is not necessarily a physical offering of ourselves like a burnt offering. Rather, it's how we act, how we think, and and how our heart is postured to the world. And and later on in that chapter, Paul talks about what this looks like. He flushes it out even more, and I I just don't have the time to get into it too much. Um, But what Paul boils this down to is what I talked about, how we act, how we think, and how our heart is postured to the things around us. And we need to do this in all aspects of our lives. You know, In our relationships, we need to act as if we're worshiping God because that's what we're truly doing. We need to think about how we look at the world even, and that, that is an act of worship, how we think and how we view things. Um, and just two examples of worship that I think we, we tend to gravitate towards when we think about worship is reading the Bible is one area where we think about worship. But But when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading it to accept intellectual facts, we are reading it as an act of worship because we need to be engaged with our hearts and our minds, and then we need to try to live it out. So, so we should ask ourselves, are we doing this when we are spending time in the Word? You know, are we praying that God would teach us something and that His Holy Spirit would press something upon us, and then He would give us the motivation to go live it out, you know? Or, or another example that we commonly think of as worship, and we even call worship most of the time, is singing together on Sundays, right? We don't just sing because it sounds nice and we like to do it, right? But we do this because we acknowledge truths about God and, and what He has done for us, and then out of a response in our heart, we sing praise to Him. This is why we do this. So we need to ask about how our heart is postured when we're singing. Are we thinking about the truths that, are, that, are, that we're talking about of God? And then are we, are we singing out of that overflow of our heart? So these are, these are the more obvious examples. But if we really think about it, there are some less obvious ones. You know. Are we worshiping God in our schooling or work? You know, Colossians 3.23 tells us that whatever we do, we should do it unto God, not as if we were working for man. So as we take exams, as we study, as we write papers, or even if we're at work and we're doing a task that seems repetitive and pointless, you know, we should do it as if we are praising God through that because it is worship. You know, we cannot be slacking off not paying attention because we don't see the value in the task that we have. Right? We need to do it as if we're worshiping God. We also need to worship God in our relationships and how we speak to one another. Are, are, you know, are, are we serving others in our community? Are we wanting the best for those around us? Or do we believe uh, do we believe the best in others? Or do we attribute negative motives to people right off the bat? Do we believe the best in them? And I'm sure at this point you get what I'm trying to say, that everything we do is worship, and that Cain is an example of our sinful posture and how we often falsely worship um And and sometimes, even externally, it does look good, the sin that we're doing. like From the outside perspective, we might say, oh, well, Cain is offering a sacrifice to God on the outside that can look good. But we see that it is truly not. So... uh, as we are evaluating how we worship God, we need others to help us as, as we're doing this, right? And to help examine our hearts. So this is why community is so important. We need to build close relationships with others so that way they can help give insight into our lives and where our hearts are actually postured. Uh, really close friends are typically the ones who can ask us those difficult questions. One, because you have the relationship where you can actually do that. And two, because they, they know you well enough to know why you're doing what you're doing. So, so the closer connections are so important as we talk about this. So, so we talked a lot about worshiping and what that looks like. Uh, now let's talk about the second section that I talked about, right, of Genesis 4, who we worship, right? We've talked a lot about what the quality of worship, but now let's talk about the God who we worship. So we see in verses 6 and 7 that God gives us exhortation and guidance and gives us his word. Cain is re- directly receiving word from God. Um, he, he, he is, God is directly talking to him, telling him, you know what is right and that he must rule over his sin. <clears throat> and we still have this communication from God today. Not that it's a direct word from God, but we have God's Bible, the Bible and God's word which instructs us and tells us how we should live. God is faithful to, to give us this in written form, and it instructs us and it guides us. God has provided us clear instructions and encouragement to live out His commands today. And God doesn't just give us a a list of do's and don'ts in the Bible, right? He he gives us examples of how this is lived out in longer narratives as well. So we see it embodied, not just a list of abstract things to do. So God doesn't leave us in the dark. He gives us clear instructions, and God is faithful to instruct us. We also see God's justice in this section, right? God, God punishes Cain for his sin and exiles him and takes away his profession, God does not just let Cain get away with his sin, right? He he does punish him. We see that God says that he hears the voice of Abel's blood cry out. And we know that from this that God hears the cries of those who have been sinned against. God didn't ask Cain where Abel was because he didn't know, right? He knew where Abel was. He knew what Cain had done to Abel. Uh, And we see from this that God still knows when tragedies and and acts of evil are committed, right? We know that God will punish these acts of evil. We see that in this text today. And and we know that in in further revelation in Scripture that, that God has given us uh, the answer to how this evil will be punished. And, and there's one of two places that this, this evil will be punished. One is if we have faith and repent and believe in Jesus, that, we, that punishment will be paid for on the cross. And then the second place is if we have not repented and believed in Jesus, we will face eternal separation from God and be punished for our sins. And we see a degree of this with Cain, right, when he is sent away from the presence of God. So we see God's justice in this section. The next thing we see is the mercy of God. You know, Cain truly deserved to die for his sin, right? All sin truly deserves death. We saw that in Genesis 3. But this sin, even you could argue even more so, right? Because we see later with Noah that God tells Noah that if anyone murders anyone, they should be put to death. And this is later confirmed in the law with Moses, right? and and we see with Cain he doesn't even ever feel sorry or show any remorse for his murder of his brother right so so we see that god has every right to kill Cain right on the spot for what he has done but god still shows Cain some mercy and and, and in theology this is what they call common grace which is just a title for you know the, the fact that god extends a level of grace to everyone not that everyone is saved or anything like that but that God extends grace sometimes even to those who are not in him. So we see, we see this every time that we sin and God does not kill us, right? God is extending mercy because we deserve that. That is the, the just punishment for us. But we see this also in God's provision for people and, and, and God restraining some level of sin. So, so God gives mercy in this section. So so as we walk out of here, we've talked a lot about who we worship. You know, there's God who is just, merciful, provides his word for us. And we've talked about how we worship in the internal and external portions of it. But let's think about how we can live this out. And I've got two questions for us that that we we should ask as, as we go out of here and talk about this with others. And the first is, who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping the true God who created the heavens and the earth? There's only one true God. There are not many gods. There are not many paths to the same place. You know? We see the first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before me. And Cain did not put God first here. He is falsely worshiping God and putting himself above God. And worshiping God starts with realizing our brokenness and sin And we see, like Cain, we sin externally and internally. We sin in our hearts and in our actions. And we cannot bridge this gap of sin alone. It's only in Christ's sacrifice that we can bridge this gap that's caused by our sin and our false worship. We need to have faith like Abel did, to trust in Christ's sacrifice first, and we need to repent and believe in it. So we see that Christ can bridge the gap of our false worship, and there is only hope in him. So that's question one. Who are we worshiping? Question two, we need to ask, How am I worshiping? As we see with Cain, he, he is worshiping God falsely. And he's doing this, we, we see he's worshiping in an incorrect way. And when we're a Christian, it doesn't guarantee that our worship is correct. And and this this uh, incorrect worship can be external or internal. Externally, we may Act in a way that defies God's commands and designs for us. This is what we saw with Cain as well. He openly disrespected God's words and he killed his brother. And we also externally sin, not that we're necessarily going around killing our brother or anything, but we externally sin as well. And I think Romans 12 and Exodus 20 are great examples of these external sins. Not that these are exhaustive lists, but they show us how we break God's laws and designs for us. You know, it covers sexual sin, stealing, lying, murder how we represent God, and false worship as well. But we see that we don't only sin uh, externally, but we also do internally. We could be doing something from the outside that looks good, but it is out of a rotten heart. God doesn't want us just just to serve Him on the outside, but He also wants us to have a heart that's sold out for God behind that worship. And again, I chose Romans 12 and Exodus 20 as good examples of this because it also covers the internal aspect of it. You know? It talks about uh, struggling with loving others in our hearts. You know, maybe we serve other people, but we do it out of obligation and not love. That is not proper worship. We need to love others. You know? That's what God tells us to do. We need to hate our evil desires, is one of the things these sections says, that, that we need to fight against our sin. And we see Cain does not fight against his sin in this section. You know, we, we might struggle with coveting or wanting things that other people have. You know, I, I think in this day and age, we often can see a lot of what other people's lives look like and the possessions that they have more than ever before. And so coveting can be very easy for us. You know, maybe we externally congratulate someone on achievement or the new house that they got or, or some other possession that they own. But on the inside, we want what that person has and are not satisfied with what God has given us. And this is improper worship, and this is sin. So that's question two. How are we worshiping? Are we worshiping God both externally and internally? And as we think about these questions, this is, it can be a broad amount of things that we could be struggling with and going through. And this is why I think the community aspect of it is so important. You know, we are not to live the Christian life alone. We need encouragement and loving rebuke from other people in our lives to call out these areas where we're falsely worshiping God or where we're worshiping ourselves rather than God and trusting in Him. And this is, this is not easy, but let's, as we go out from here, as we, as we live, let's strive to worship the one true God both externally and internally. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your word in this section of Genesis that talks about worship and and how we are to properly worship you and how we have this both positive example and a negative example here with Cain and Abel, God. I just pray that that as we try to live this out, how as we try to worship you, that our, both our external actions and our internal actions would be tur- turned towards you, God. I know that often the internal can be more difficult to examine and to... To struggle with is my heart actually in the right place? are my motivations correct, God? And I just pray that your spirit would convict us if we do have any sin in the internal aspects Lord that that you would show us where that sin is God um, and I just pray that we would be we would be in close Christian community as we 're examining ourselves uh, for the for the sin of the heart Lord and I just pray. That, that you would help us through this, and that you would also, your spirit would encourage us as we live this out, that we would know that we are free from sin in Christ, and that Christ's sacrifice was enough to pay the price for our sin, God. And we are so thankful for that, Lord. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.